0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome on in. It is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, September 29th. John McKechnie and Mario Puig here getting into all of the week for action we even have a london game we'll get to the thursday night game as well every single game on the nfl week Four slate here we go welcome on in this is the rotowire fantasy football podcast john mckekney and mario puig Hanging out with you. We are coming off an exciting week three. And boy, it does feel like a lot of injuries have cropped up across the league as you know, the Wednesday injury reports have come out. It looks like a lot of star players are, are dealing with those early season bumps and bruises. So let's let's start things out with this Thursday night game, Mario. We have the Bengals playing host to the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins obviously coming off of an exciting uh, victory. Over the Buffalo Bills. However, you know, it was a pretty taxing win. You know, their, their defense was on the field in the heat for a ton of plays on, on Sunday. Now you get the quick turnaround, got to get out of Miami and, and go up uh, to Cincinnati. And that, that I think, is, is in, in large part why, uh, why the Bengals are favored, despite, you know, not, obviously not getting off to a great start in their own regard. But, you know, what what are your thoughts on this game, especially considering, you know, what, what's going on, on, on the Miami side injury wise?
2: Yeah, I think you got it right. I mean, they spent so much time on the field that there's just no way, especially even if it was a full week of rest, they might've been a little bit taxed, you know, come Sunday, let alone today. So traveling can't help. Joe Mixon's been uh, pretty inefficient through three weeks. And if that doesn't change here, the Bengals have something wrong with them that I I don't know if they can fix exactly. So, uh, not not to truly make a statement like if Joe Mixon has a bad game here, he's toast for the whole season. But I'm I'm kind of it's like man the at the very least he's he's kind of just whiffed on a quarter of the opportunity he was supposed to have, and in this case, maybe the prime setup yet. So uh, I do think he gets going though, and I I think the Bengals <clears throat> kind of take care of this. I don't know what to make of any of the injuries. Really, I mean, you got a couple big ones with the Dolphins too. Uh, sorry, not even aside from uh, Tua and Jalen. You got a couple on the the Dolphins that are pretty big. Like Taron Armstead's been playing through some toe issue, but he hasn't practiced in two weeks, and this is a short week uh, this time. So maybe he's not quite himself. That would be a big problem. If so, Tua um, uh, with his back concussion, uh, whatever <laughs> it was that he suffered, uh, don't know what to make of that. Don't even know if we're really getting the full story with what he's dealing with, let alone, you know, guessing whether we can infer what what's going on for, from uh, what, what they tell us. So I I don't want to assume everything's great with the Dolphins' side, I guess, even though they are saying, like, all those guys, and Xavier Howard, too, uh, is questionable. They're saying, like, all those guys are, are probably going to play. So uh, Waddle, I feel like, has done this a few times, even last year, where he, he kind of has, like, limited uh, – limited – practice participation and limited practice volumes and he still seemed okay so um I guess we, we can expect him to be you know more or less himself but the two part the Armstead part and I don't know what to make of that exactly so yeah I would I would just lean Bengals because it just it's it's a lot working against
1: the Dolphins at the moment I think so how would the Bengals have to adjust their their game plan in order to to kind of escape this one with, with a victory because it does feel like, you know, like we've kind of established here that the, the chips are stacked against them, be it the the personnel. And then also just the, the timing coming off of a game, like, like the one that they just played on Sunday, like, you know, it, it just doesn't feel like they're built to necessarily keep the uh, Bengals offense on the sidelines by like sustaining these long drives. Like I think what's great about Miami is, is their ability to, you know, have the big plays uh, the quick strike type of offense, but, You know, at the same time, uh, I don't think that they can sustain those, you know, like 10, 12 play drives that that eat up some clock and keep Joe Burrow and company on the sideline.
2: Yeah, road games, short weeks, uh, the temperatures drop over time. That's all going to be working against the Dolphins offense, despite their fast start. And uh, I know they're a warm weather team, so at home it won't be a problem. But, uh, you know, they're lucky that this game is now actually not so much on a Thursday, but, you know, early in the year they're lucky they're getting this game because if it was uh, a month from now, I, I feel like that's, that's a much worse projection. Like as the temperature drops, as, as wind goes up, this, this Tua dependent offense, this, this, the system where they're dependent on Tua for ball control, like that, that just isn't going to play in the, the playoffs or, or the, the cold weather. So uh, I think, I think we can kind of, we can kind of expect them to start faster than they finish Uh, and I don't know how they're going to make any, if that happens, I don't know how they're going to pick up the slack with the ground game. Like, I just don't see the personnel there. Uh, they're relying on Raheem Mostert to kind of be like they're between the tackles runner, which is not going to work. It hasn't worked yet. And it's like, they're going to break him if they keep doing that. So, uh, they're on track, I think to end up with chase Edmonds as their only healthy running back within a few weeks. And if they have a third and one, it's like, Hell, you might as well throw it to Tyreek deep. I mean, what's the point? You're not moving the chains with these guys. So, I would have, I would have thought they'd add like a Jordan Howard kind of guy by now because they're gonna sort of need one, whether they realize it yet or not. Uh, in this game, though, um, I don't know. I don't know what the Dolphins do differently. You know, it's like they're just dependent on Tyreek and Waddle to move the ball. Those running backs can't really do it, so they have to just keep doing what they've been doing and hope it keeps working. Uh, on the Bengals side, they just gotta. Uh, not turn the ball over, basically. Like let just let those Dolphins defenders get gassed uh, by like keeping them on the field as much as possible, and then second half, P Ryan and Mixon should be able to just stomp all over them.
1: And you know, with, with with the Bengals, and I think it's going to be an issue for them all season. We saw it through the first two weeks when they when they face an elite pass rush, it it can really uh, mess up the the entire operation for them. Obviously, going up against the Jets last week, that was the perfect kind of get right spot for them. Are the Bengals – are, are the Dolphins able to bring anything off the edge uh, pressure-wise that, that could kind of foul things up for, for this Bengals passing game?
2: Well, Jalen Phillips had a pretty good year pass rushing last year. I want to say he had like eight and a half sacks on like 550 snaps or something like that. And he doesn't have a sack yet. So based on prior rates of per snap production, he's a pretty good bet to get at least one sack in this one. I just don't know if it's going to be the kind of sack that – uh you know, is, it, is it going to be, is it taking the Bengals from uh, second and one to third and six, or is it taking them from second and 10 to third and 16? Like I'd, the second one is how you really, you know, start to lay a beating on an offense. But I think it might be more like the first one. Like I think whatever, whatever heat Burrow gets in this game, it's more likely to be in situations where they can kind of like shake it off, even if he, even if it's a sack, even if they don't complete the pass and move the chains. it's like the cost of that, won't be what it's been this in these first few weeks like they'll be able to get away with it although again I'm assuming that the ground game is way better than it's been so that's kind of what I'm I keep going back to that point because it's just I think whatever goes wrong with the Bengals it's going to be going wrong in parts of the field and in situations that just are more advantageous to them like it's not gonna it's not gonna be like you know that that Pittsburgh game where everything that went wrong was like a back-breaking event. Uh, it's going to be mm-hmm. more like they can kind of just slick it off and, and keep going, keep keep giving it to mix in and you know, especially if Tua is anything less than sharp in this one, I, I just don't think the Bengals need to play with much urgency.
1: Right. So, uh, you know, looking at, at that, and you know, the potential for for slower drives on on the on the Bengals side, uh, the forty-eight and a half or forty-seven and a half, depending on on where you're looking for for the total. Do you think? with everything that we've kind of laid out here that that maybe this game's coming in under that
2: um, i don't know I, I i have no good sense of picking over unders i guess i should say but it, oh i it's, i don't either uh, well, I, me, I went back and looked applause, at my record though, from
1: last week and ugh. just
2: having oh sorry just having guys like hill's also due to go off you know like he'll uh if he has a big game then it's like whatever is a big game for Tyreek is the kind of production that can just sort of flip a game, you know, uh, either, either flip it from its current momentum or just, you know, take it over entirely. So it's like the Bengals could pummel them for three quarters and uh, the Dolphins could still get 14 points in the last 10 minutes or something like that. So uh, it's like the one team I don't want to pick the under against, even though mm-hmm. maybe it's the one time I want to pick it against them.
1: Right now that that may that definitely makes sense. It uh, I'd, I'd probably uh, try to stay away from from betting the, the total in this one as well. Let's get on over to foggy London town as we uh, begin the Sunday slate breakdown. Uh, we got the Vikings going up against the Saints. Uh, this game, not New Orleans, uh, no home field advantage for the for the New Orleans Saints, despite uh, them being the, the home team in this matchup. Vikings slight favorites in this one. I mean, you know, have have the Saints really like played any kind of sustained good brand of football thus far this season? I mean, other than kind of mucking things up against uh, the Buccaneers early on and then making the comeback against the Falcons, you know, I I felt like last week it was kind of a a bigger indication of where they are. And I don't think the the Vikings are great necessarily, but oh, man, I I think this Saints team is ticketed for potentially a top 10 pick, especially with it with the injuries they've got in the quarterback room.
2: Yeah, Jameis not practicing today, and I, I don't want to misquote the guy, but I thought Dennis Allen said he thought Winston would practice today, so I don't know if that marks some sort of escalating concern or whatever. It was concerning enough, just Jameis Winston with broken back or, or back fractures, multiple back fractures, like, mm-hmm. and we were barely able to work up the courage to go with him when he's completely healthy. He's like, don't need that part put in. Uh, If we got Andy Dalton at quarterback, that's kind of just a wrap right there. Uh, I do think that the Vikings have some pretty substantial issues to work out themselves. Like, I don't think they have any, like, as much as the Saints have been kind of, um, like, you you pointed out, it's not sustainable the way they've been uh, getting done whatever they have gotten done. uh, The Vikings... Uh, there's, there's something, there's something just wrong about them too. Like they, I, I'm not convinced of their defensive direction and that's not as important as the offense, but the offense too. Uh, Aaron Glenn had Kevin O'Connell in hell last week. Like I know that I'm not just trying to take credit from Jeff Okuda or whatever, but um, those DBs were on those receivers every step that they took. Adam Thielen wasn't getting open. KJ Osborne wasn't getting open. Justin Jefferson obviously wasn't getting open it wasn't just okuda that was the 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 thing determining who who was you know covered on a play he wasn't covering everybody and yeah i know amani orowarie must have set a record for the most penalties ever uh, against a defensive back in a single game <laughs> but um even if we say it's like oh well the vikings were getting um the vikings were just getting like manhandled by the corners the refs weren't throwing a flag you know most of the time when they're getting some flags like, they already got six on orowarie alone you know so it's like Holding a lot, getting away with it a little, whatever. It, it more so was the case that the, the lines just were on them. And they don't have the personnel to explain that. Let's just say Okuda explains his own part. The other two, it doesn't explain. It, the ex- explanation is O'Connell was figured out. O'Connell was doing too many things that the Lions knew about and the Lions were on it. So if you want to play, you know, the, the kind of football where the, the opponent and everybody in the world has your whole playbook, That Zach Taylor style of offense, you better have a a massive personnel advantage over the team you're going against. And I would say last week was an example of them having a massive personnel advantage and still not being able to do anything with it. Mm So this could be an ugly game. I imagine does London have a certain like, you know, Thursday games, whatever short week games tend to make uh, low scoring games.
1: Yeah, the under under it hit, uh it was one and one last year and before that, uh in the last ten it was uh seven and three to the under.
2: Yeah, this could be a really disgusting game. Um yeah I don't know what gives. I don't know. Something's gotta break I guess. Something's gotta give, but I don't know what it is. Uh maybe 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 both defenses get gassed or something, and then maybe Kirk Cousins gets enough going late to kind of eke out a win. But it doesn't feel like anyone's really
1: going to seize victory here. No, it yeah, it it'll be the doing of, of the losing team that 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 you know kind of determines the result in this one. So do we expect a bounce back from from the likes of Justin Jefferson and and you know what do you do if if you have Dalvin Cook? He obviously did not practice. Uh, this past Wednesday due to that shoulder issue that, you know, we've, we've talked about previously, uh, definitely has had plenty of those in, in his, uh, in his history.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing with Dalvin. Cause it's like his, his shoulder is glass, but it's the kind of glass that for some reason seems to glue back together within a week or 10 days. Every time it's like, every time he gets the injury, he's popped for the game but then, you know, instead of ending up on IR or whatever, needing like surgery on the shoulder, I guess he probably needs surgery on the, sol- on the shoulder, but just isn't getting it. Uh, so he's going to uh, keep coming back in five to ten days from shoulder separations over and over, chron- chronic shoulder separations, and uh, just like lose the ability to lift his hand over his head uh, by the time he's 40 instead of getting sh- shoulder surgery now. Um I guess he's going to play like he's not, it seems like he's not supposed to like the last last year when it was the Steelers or something, he had that two, he had mm-hmm. his biggest game of the year in a situation where doctors conventionally would have been like, yeah, you can't play. So uh, I would guess he plays therefore like what's, why would it be worse now? I don't know. Maybe it is. I maybe there's something I don't know about it, but uh, I would assume Dalvin plays and um, you know, Madison it's it's not the setup obviously that he's if he would have been like a starter but or if he is a starter but um I, the Dalvin re-injury risk is real too just because that Steelers game happened doesn't mean it would happen the other nine times out of ten like for all we know the other nine times out of ten it's like he gets popped in the second quarter and has to leave again or something so uh Madison is closer to the field than he was before the injury but it, it still seems like it's Cook's uh, they're, you know, if, if the same as last year happens, it should still be cook. Anyway, Justin Jefferson, um, I am worried about because again, the, the lions knew the plays last week and the, the saints are going to know the plays this week, unless O'Connell figured out what he was tipping off. But, um, Justin Jefferson is so good. And the target volume is still so high that it's like, even if it's gotta be ugly, he'll, he'll find a way to get through eventually, you know, he's not going to finish the year with like 7.2 yards of target.
1: No, no. So it'll it'll come back. Um, but yes, still some overall concerns, you know, that week one was so dizzying uh, that I, I think that there's kind of like an almost unfair expectation that he do, he just simply does that every week. And that How
2: screwed is the Packers do. defense? They <laughs> they got pants by O'Connell and now O'Connell just looks like another Zach Taylor after one week. So
1: um, we'll see. And then, you know, on the New Orleans side, if it is Andy Dalton, you know, I, th- I think that Chris Olave has kind of put himself on, on the radar to, to start in just kind of conventional teamers. It was a good uh, run. John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I'll remember it fondly.
2: Those Olave rookie of the year tickets sure as hell aren't happening. Maybe one game of Dalton, he can survive, but uh, what What are we going to. Is Jameis Winston's multiple back fracture going to be substantially better in a week? Is He just needed a week off for his. And multiple points broken back to heal, It doesn't seem like
1: it's a good way out. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe if he's sleeping in like a hyperbaric chamber, maybe. But uh, even then, uh, I don't know. Jameis has all those cool exercise videos. Maybe those are going to help. I'm not totally sure, but either way. I'm sure he's got a great idea, whatever it is. (laughs) Just like (laughs) someone chasing him around. Um, And then let's see here. Uh, When it comes to Alvin Kamara... Limited on Wednesday. Imagine he's just gonna be one of those guys this year that is limited a lot but but plays a lot. But uh your expectations on him after rushing for sixty yards uh this past week.
2: I I don't know what's a fair expectation with him really. I mean that those ribs gotta hurt. Um I guess uh, you like it to be what maybe his best game of the year. It's just to this point, it's just that's not saying anything at all. So uh, yeah, he he's got to do okay here. I I'd, I'd be surprised if he's a dud or whatever, but uh not not vintage Kamara either. It's more like the the slog kind maybe that we saw early last year uh where he was getting like 20 carries for
1: 80 yards and a touchdown kind of thing. Do you, do you think he he breaks out of that eventually or or is this going to kind of be the Kamara season?
2: I I think he'll get out eventually. I just don't it's it's tough to tell where he's at in his career you know by conventional metrics because it's like 27 he just turned 27 it's like that's not truly old but he's not a big running back either and he's had a pretty sizable workload at this point like especially last year getting 240 carries in 13 games was kind of ill-advised I think Uh, not that it would explain anything about where he's at I just mean like that that kind of body type you don't really want to you don't want to make him a workhorse. You want to make him a guy who does a lot of damage on a modest workload. Uh, It's, it just suits him best and it and it prolongs his career the best. So uh, the way they were using him last year is like more the way you should use like a Mark Ingram kind of like, uh, you know, between the tackles guy like that, that just, uh, it it doesn't really help him. and, And it actually might have taken a toll on him. He might be, for his body type, the kind of workload that he's taken, he might be aged more like 30 than 27, you know? So he might actually be closer to decline than we'd like to think about. And uh, if if that's at all in play, then, then it would be, you know, a, certainly a new development, something that has never been the case with him before. Like whatever else has gone on with Kamara system products to some extent or not, he's always been elite for his own part too. So if he's now just some kind of pretty good and the offense sucks too, like that's kind of a lot working against him.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So that that's a good way uh, to frame that. Uh, we're going to grab a couple of questions here in a second. Uh, but first, a, a message from our friends over at Blue Wire.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Okay, let's see here. So no one is asking, uh, would you trade away Jalen Hurts for Justin Jefferson if you had Tom Brady as your backup quarterback? If the other yeah. person is willing to take Jalen Hurts in exchange for Justin Jefferson, then uh, yes, uh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I would do that. Take that Actually, on. though, I'd see, I,
2: I. I'd try to really squeeze the most out of this her type and get a little greedy and see if you can maybe get a little more out of them, because I bet you might be able to. I know that th- it's just the Jefferson optics are so ugly, and I think people are going to do this thing where they're like, oh, Jalen Hurts can be like Lamar, and he's not. Uh, the system is helpful, but it's, it's going to get more stressful than he's seen so far. And when the stress hit last year, he folded pretty much every time.
1: True, true, and, and you know, even if he doesn't fold this time, in, in the in the face of the, those adjustments, uh, I still think it's going to be re- almost impossible to to sustain the the kind of level that that the that him and the Eagles' offense are at right now. So that, that's a good call, just on capitalizing on on momentum in the trade market. Let's get on over. We got Falcons, Browns, Browns, slight road favorites here the number was a decent bit higher earlier in the week the the browns were like two two and a half point favorites now it's down to one uh one and a half as they go up against atlanta atlanta coming off of the that game out in seattle and the the browns having played that ugly game last thursday night kind of already kind of washed from our memory against uh the steelers so your thoughts on, on this one i feel like this sets up pretty well for the browns personally but we can we'll get into it so your thoughts here
2: yeah, it definitely sets up well for the Browns. Um, you know, getting getting a little bit of extra rest, and the Falcons probably, you know, wore themselves out a little tiny bit traveling out west as they did. And uh, close game, hard fought game. They they might be uh, they might be in a place psychologically that they're not used to, and they you know, there's there's a sort of fatigue risk with that. Um, I guess. Uh, you know, I was I was so worried about Nick Chubb having a lot of the valuable touches taken from by like, Kareem Hunt, and that basically causing a big gap between real life Nick Chubb and fantasy Nick Chubb. Because in real life, obviously, he's just probably the best, and in fantasy, people barely care about him uh, outside of DFS slates. You know, so it's it's uh, <laughs> it's uh it's uh it's setting up though to be a year where it's it there actually isn't a big gap between real life Chubb and fantasy Chubb. It's like they're getting him a lot of that work right now, even with Kareem Hunt getting a pretty big workload, so uh, maybe that changes after the Watson suspension expires, but right now it seems like the model is there's slack for both Chubb and Hunt, and in a setting like this, that suits them perfectly well. I mean, it almost makes, it's just kind of like, they have to make a layup this week. Uh, on offense, anyway, they do. On defense, they might be a little challenge. I don't, like, I just hate the, the results Joe Woods gets. I, I don't, I don't have any specific criticisms to make of the guy but i think it's only because i haven't watched that closely and i haven't tried to but uh i i feel like there's a big disconnect between the results joe was the cleveland defensive coordinator gets especially from those corners like i don't know how there's so many open receivers against this defense when you have denzel ward maybe maybe just ward's overrated and i'm i'm like maybe that's my error in, in the thinking there but uh in any case these corners have not gotten the results that you would expect them to. This pass defense hasn't gotten the results you'd expect it to. Uh, the run defense personnel is trash, so I think they got to worry about that just categorically, no matter who they're going against. Going against Arthur Smith, if he has those Falcons ready to play, like that's, that's dangerous for the, the Cleveland run defense. And uh, if, even if Denzel Ward's good, even if Greg Newsom's good, those two match up pretty poorly with a guy like Drake London. I mean, no one right. really matches up that great with Drake London kind of why he is the way he is. But uh, th- those corners are tiny or at least Ward is tiny and Newsom's like maybe average size. So London could kind of keep it going pretty well here. I-, I didn't think he'd start this fast. And I guess there's a little bit of like touchdown dependency in his production so far. But if they get into scoring range and they're throwing a touchdown, it's either London or Pitts. And so far, understandably enough, uh, Pitts seems to get a lot of defensive attention. And if you're a defensive coordinator, you probably would say, yeah, we'd rather lose by London than, than lose by Pitts. So uh, that could keep going on here. And if if London's on a, even even like even a really good corner, even if Denzel Ward is a really good corner being a 5'11", 185 or whatever he is, it's, it's just not easy to go against a 6'4", 220 type like London. So I think the Falcons offense can keep it going. I just don't I don't know what their defense can do here.
1: And then uh, is is a game like last week kind of how C- Cleveland has to win it, where the the other offense kind of fails, and then with with, with uh, their own part on offense is kind of having those long sustained, you know, Nick Chubb and and Cream Hunt driven uh, type of offensive sequences, or and can that you know carry over in this spot against Atlanta?
2: Yeah, I mean it's kind of interesting because. Uh you don't see an offense deliberately built like the Browns offense is built. They're pretty clearly, uh, they're, they're kind of acknowledging in the design, like, yeah, we can't throw. So we're going to, we're going to very specifically dial up our targets that we, you know, somewhat selectively put out in the first place. Like we're not going to try to run up 40 pass attempts on you. We're going to try to throw it 25 to 28 times. And as many of those pass attempts as possible, we want to be like dialed up sort of scripted targets and in this case, which is to say, we want like 45, 50 percent of those targets going to Amari Cooper. And we want it to go to him on those plays because the entire scheme, the entire theory of the play design is specifically to free him up. And it's usually like it's like playing off of some look that they gave them in the ground game three times on the drive already. You know, it's like it, it, it's setting up to be an off tackle Chubb carry. And you get your personnel on defense kind of leading that way. Cause you already saw it and you're sick of getting beat on that play. And then it ends up being a little bit different. And you know, these, the routes are set up to free up just a quick opening for Cooper and bam, another first down. And you kind of just keep doing that until you get to the end zone. And it worked last week. Um, the Falcons defense has overachieved. I don't know how, I don't know if they can keep it up. I mean, it's gotta be it's Dean Pease I think uh, the defensive coordinator and he's he's one of those old Baltimore guys too so he mm-hmm. he knows a lot of tricks he can do that kind of like wink Martindale kind of stuff um, so I can I can imagine them keep keep on uh, overachieving but they really are overachieving and I, I don't know if you can really do your – you can't like smoke and mirror your way out of the problem of Nick Chubb being a hulking uh, really fast human.
1: Yeah, at, at a certain point, like, you, uh, yeah, there isn't a a, uh, a trick in the bag to really stop that, other than getting up there and having the Montana State rookie uh, try to st- try to tackle Nick Chubb in, in open space. Oh
2: man, I didn't even notice he was
1: playing already. I uh, Trey uh, Anderson, he had the uh, he had the punt block against the okay. Rams.
2: Yeah, if he's if he's on the field, like that guy doesn't really know how to play line. Like he it, he's not even supposed to yet. So if he's out there, that's just like Chubb. Uh, you know the <laughs> It doesn't apply position analogy wise, but he's he's definitely thinking what uh, D'Angelo from The Wire as the kicker in the Water Boy says <laughs> his
1: onside kick. Oh my gosh! Yeah, there he is. Strong reference. Love that. Um, let's see anything else to, to get from this game. Obviously, uh, I think you're you're starting Cordero Patterson without thinking twice about it at this point. But you know, like how high do you have him kind of ranked projected? Uh, for for this week, is he like a high end RB two at this point?
2: I guess so. But I, mean, I didn't even see his season going like this at all. I thought he'd have like eight carries a game for like whatever forty yards, maybe maybe four or five rushing touchdowns. And I thought he'd have like four hundred to six hundred yards receiving, something like that. Uh, he's he's been a just like a bruiser, like a pure runner so far. So. Uh, that's impressive on the one hand, but I don't think it's the most sustainable thing for him. On the other, I'd, I'd kind of like to see them get throw more in general if they could, and and get Patterson some targets so that he's not running between the tackles so much. Like he he's a high runner; he's like six, six two or something. So uh, he, he can't keep doing that with him.
1: Yeah, that, yeah. We'll we'll see how that usage changes, but but you know, obviously, anyone that invested in him, especially where he did. I know you he got a run. lot of him in best ball. I mean, really, yeah, he's looked great.
2: People convince themselves that he couldn't run. They're like, and maybe the Falcons suck. Maybe he gets hurt or whatever. But he can run.
1: He absolutely can. So impressive uh, stuff from him to start this year. Here, uh, game. Got a message from our friends over at Brothrow. Have you ever bet on sports with your buddies? Brothrow is the only sports betting platform that lets you bet directly with your friends, and Brothrow doesn't take a cut of every bet. No fees, no juice, no middlemen. Brothrow is not a sports book. You bet on sports directly against other users with no juice or VIG, which saves you a ton of money over time. Betting $11 to win 10 stinks. With Brothrow, you bet $10 and win $10. Brothrow offers a hassle-free sign-up process that lets you get in the action in seconds. And you don't have to deposit money on Brothrow either. Instead, you pay other bettors directly. Throw out your first bet and go to brothrow.com slash Roto and use code Roto. That's brothrow.com slash R-O-T-O. Brothrow is free to sign up. Cut out the middleman and start betting on Brothrow. That's brothrow.com slash R-O-T-O. And we also got a message from our friends over at Vivid Seats. Hey, football fans, get your jerseys on and your tailgate snacks ready. That's right. NFL season is back, and so is your chance to score tickets with Vivid Seats. Download the Vivid Seats app or visit vividseats.com to see your team's schedule, compare tickets, and secure your spot in the stands. As the only ticketing company with a reward program, Vivid Seats is the winning app for NFL fans like you. Earn credit when you buy 10 tickets, then cash it in to catch more games all season long. With tickets from Vivid Seats, you'll go from watching the game to being a part of it. Go to VividSeats.com or find us in the App Store to browse Unbeatable Seats. We'll see you in the stadium. All right, let's get things rolling here. We got Ravens playing host to the Buffalo Bills. Um your thoughts here the the Bills uh road favorites in this one obviously coming off their first loss of the season. We talked about the Miami game earlier when we were talking Thursday night football and then the Ravens coming off the win in New England. Is this just the way that the Ravens are going to have to get used to playing here where they can give up a lot of points even to teams like the Patriots and they're just going to have to outscore everybody?
2: Uh I guess uh, Michael Pierce out now too, so I I don't know man. I I've I've been kind of frustrated with a lot of the personnel decisions that the the Ravens had made lately and I, each the last 2 years I've gone in thinking like I don't really like the way this defense looks uh and then but, but in each case too I was kind of like oh but they always figure it out. I'm sure they'll they'll figure it out. They always do and uh they haven't really granted there's also been the injuries at corner but it's like it's basically just been Humphrey. cuz Peters they knew was hurt so mm-hmm. that's not really an excuse. I don't know. I, I don't see I don't see how they fix it really. Or at the very least, I no longer have that generous assumption that I used to make that like, oh, they'll they always figure it out. I'm sure they're on it. Like now I'm like, I don't know if they're even on it. So i I'm not I'm not hopeful that their defense improves. And on offense, I don't think it's sustainable what they've been doing. I mean, Lamar Jackson is awesome. You don't no one needs to convince me that, but Uh, Greg Roman is still their offensive coordinator and successful or not in these first three weeks, it's always box scores. Like they play 38 snaps, they play 42 snaps and Lamar Jackson gets them five touchdowns on, you know, 26 usage reps. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, that is Lamar and he will do that. But I feel like what we're seeing right now is what they do in spite of Roman. And they need to change a few things for this to be sustainable because Lamar is not going to be able to average like 15 yards a pass and 20 yards a carry all year. So when that changes, what changes to offset that? And I, I don't know what the answer would be for the, for the Ravens, if not like the running backs step up basically. Yeah, that
1: like, they, yeah, that would have to be the answer in my opinion. Um, it's and like Dobbins,
2: I don't know where he's at. I don't know where Gus Edwards is at, but if those two can't save the day, they don't have an answer. So, uh, in this particular matchup, I don't know what to make either. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny. Like we, we were talking about how the dolphins defense was on the field so much. I almost have to wonder if the, the Buffalo offense is tired after spending 90 snaps on the field. I mean, it probably isn't, but it's, it's, or at least it's not as taxing to play offense as it is defense, uh, especially in the trenches. So, uh, it, I'm sure they'll be fine, but man, they spent a lot of time spinning their wheels last week and going nowhere. Uh, I guess, uh, I guess I wouldn't expect that to be an issue against this Ravens defense. Um, although I guess going to Baltimore generally has been pretty harsh on teams historically. Yes. I, I don't know if that's I uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if Allen's really at risk of that. It might be kind of like the arrowhead thing where we were like, man, quarterbacks just hate going to arrowhead. And then it turned out like, oh, actually it's just the ball dies when you go to arrowhead. And if you have a Herbert Mahomes, Josh Allen arm, that doesn't actually affect them that much. Like maybe the Ravens have a similar thing and maybe, maybe Allen's arm strength makes him immune to it. I don't really know, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about the, uh, the Bill's offense in this one. I might be worried about the Ravens offense just because the Bill's defense is so much better than the Ravens defense. Uh, but also on the other hand, I'm, I don't know, I'm not going to just bet against Lamar Jackson. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I am worried for the Ravens in this one though.
1: So we're, is uh is Devin DuVernay someone that you can feel okay starting in in deeper formats and are you starting Rashad Bateman you know without thinking twice about it at this point
2: so DuVernay is one of those parts that's not sustainable too whereas I feel like Bateman's production like it's not sustainable in the sense that yeah he's not going to average 25 yards a catch but his target volume is certain to go up and and the Mm -hmm. Ravens are certain to run more snaps like I said they've played like 40 snaps a game so far. It's like they get on the field, they strike and then the defense sits on the field all game. And uh, that, you know, would, would, would change here or assuming, assuming they're having any success that will change here because they'll have to, uh, you know, they won't score every four plays. Basically. That's not going to keep happening the way, the way that they get the same snap counts uh, is more likely like they just do so badly they never get a first down and have to keep giving the ball back. So uh, that that's the only way that that snap count stays so low. And that's the main reason Bateman's volume has been low, but it will go up eventually when the snaps do. I don't know if DuVernay is, I don't know if the same is true with him. I feel like he's more like in a fixed volume kind of scenario where if they play a lot more snaps, he's not guaranteed to get a lot more usage, but I think he's good. I think he's clearly the real deal. I think the extent to which he is limited is just, the extent to which Roman is failing in his job but I think Roman will do that he always has I don't have any reason to think he'll stop so DuVernay is mostly just a deep league guy whereas with Bateman you, you definitely assume that he gets more volume going forward
1: and then uh, just rounding it out you know when, when it comes to the bills here um, I just feel like their offense is set up so well uh, to do well against the, this defense like you know uh, the, the Ravens needed some some turnovers some you know absolute. Terrible interceptions from Mac Jones a week ago. Kyle Hamilton, uh, you know, had to chase someone down to force that fumble. Obviously, like that, that was a good thing that that happened, but you you don't like the events leading up to it where you got a receiver just kind of streaking it across um open. And I, I just feel like the, the Ravens pass rush problem is another thing that's not going to get fixed. And and when you have Josh Allen sitting back there with time to operate. I think it spells disaster for this team. So I I, I do like the Bills a, a decent bit in this one, despite, you know, history saying that, you know, Baltimore is a tough place to go in and win.
2: Yeah, I will say it'll be interesting to see if the Dolphins of all teams showed something about how to counter this Bills, deep, uh, Bills offense, because uh, they basically forced or, or convinced anyway, the Bills to uh, just spam running back targets. Like they must've had like 20, 22 running back targets, which is not normally how they work. Uh, and it shows that the Dolphins were taking away something vertically because they wanted to go to Diggs, they wanted to go to Davis maybe, and it wasn't there, and then you could see that it, almost a point in the game where Ken Dorsey's like, all right, well, we're going to throw to the running backs then. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what did the Dolphins do to make the Bills decide, let's, take, let's voluntarily take Diggs and get Davis out of the game and try to replace them as pass catchers with Devin Singletary of all people, and uh, I guess James Cook and Moss also got in there a little bit. Devin Singletary catching like eight passes – is a loss for the Bills offense. They can't let that Mm -hmm. happen. So it's interesting that the Dolphins convinced them to do it.
1: No, yeah, that's a really interesting detail. And then, uh, you know, kind of marrying it up between these two units. uh, The Bills just don't seem like they're going to be able to run the ball at all this year. The Ravens don't really feel like they're going to be able to stop it. But I I just don't think that their run defense is going to matter in this one necessarily. But I, I think it still is. A concern moving forward, the the new defensive coordinator and and Harbaugh were talking about the the lack of run fits, and you know that that kind of led to the Patriots running out running it you know kind of all over them. I don't think the Bills do that, but uh, you know I think it's something to to monitor when the Ravens face good run run teams like the Browns.
2: Yeah, and, uh, if they keep using Singletary that way, then needless to say, uh, that's an insane boost to his value.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that just. Oh my gosh! P- the reason why people would would hate PPR scoring, uh, basically. Um, let's keep things going here. We got Commanders Cowboys. Uh, Commanders three point underdogs on the road, going up against Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys played an ugly game on Monday. Uh, it wasn't as ugly as the Sunday night game. That I'm still like angry at myself for, for spending three and a half hours watching that on Sunday night, but. Not that Monday was was a whole lot better. But yeah, D- Dallas, you know, I think you established this point last week where when the when it is just Cooper Rush back there, it's obviously not not a high ceiling team, but you can totally see the talent uh, elsewhere, like on the field for the for this Cowboys team, whether it's out wide, whether it's the, the defense is just kind of crazy, especially in the front seven. Uh, the offensive line is all right it's maybe not as good as it was a couple of years ago it's still definitely good Zeke has looked all right and and Tony Pollard obviously looked good this past week so there, there's just kind of like enough on aggregate there to where I I do trust the Cowboys with Cooper Rush at home against Carson Wentz
2: yeah after week one I would have assumed that Washington would clean up this game but mm-hmm. uh Apparently, unstoppable Carson Wentz was only a one-week deal, and uh, he became more like the Carson Wentz we know and love last week. Uh, it's weird. It's tough for me to think through Wentz because it's like he's got all this natural talent and he can make great plays, but he's just psychologically weak. Like he he'll he'll go into a setting like that Jacksonville game and he'll play loose and he'll be like. You know, all of a sudden he's just this six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound guy who can throw the football as far as he wants. And then he goes against his former team last week. And I, maybe John Gannon had a good game plan. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. But whatever. Uh, I think even if Gannon had a good play, good game plan, the result can only be explained by Carson Wentz just choking. He just mm-hmm. he, he got there. And he was like, on on some deep level, deep in his soul, he he knew I don't want this smoke. But his whole persona is being like this, oh yeah, I'm I wanna get back on the field coach. I'm I wanna I wanna prove my doubters wrong. And it's like he's he's got like this frail narcissism working against him where he, he both wants the spotlight and is also afraid of it. And it means like it's just difficult to tell which version of him is ever gonna show up. Um and I, I thought after week one I was like, Oh god, Carson Wentz. My my nightmare scenario, Carson Wentz is just elite now because he's, uh. <laughs> he's got these <laughs> three receivers uh, it's like, uh, I guess it's not quite that the case, but uh, he can, he can make some plays against Dallas. I think he'll have a better game here than he did against. Like, he's not his frail narcissism is not going to be threatened by the Cowboys the way that uh, you know, going against this former team, the Eagles, did. So, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a little more loose in this setting. And uh, there's nothing about the, ca- the Cowboys secondary that's scary for these receivers. Quite the other way around, it's like Dallas might even need to take take a little bit off of their uh, pass rushing ambitions to properly manage these three route runners that are so dangerous for Washington. Um, but I do, I guess, I don't know. I guess I'd go with the Cowboys to win because uh, their pass rush is so good. And it's so varied. It's just, they, got, they got so many guys It's like outside of that Quinton Bohannon one. It's like, everybody's a runner. Like everybody can pursue in the open field. Everybody can split gaps. Uh, it's, it's just so much speed and I, I think they're going to, they're going to get to every quarterback they face basically. And the question is like, will the, will the quarterback keep it together and make the throws that are available or will they let those, you know, three to four sacks, six to eight hits rattle them. And, uh, I don't know. I, I on the other side, I guess I should say to Cooper rush and he's, he's got such a bad arm, but he's playing really well. I mean, he, he's, he seems not like great accuracy, but I haven't seen him. I, I can't remember seeing him make like a single bad decision. It's like he's he seems yeah. to uh, like he needs to be perfect with his decision making, but he has been too. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 like we would consider Wentz the better quarterback, but I don't know if Washington gets a better quarterback outcome in this game. And if I if I don't think their defense bridges that gap, and I definitely don't and uh, I guess I have to go with Dallas even though I don't really know how I think it'll look exactly
1: yeah I I definitely like Dallas in this spot as well I can see Carson Wentz not not only getting you know pressured that Dallas creates for him but no one can run into a sack uh, quite like Carson Wentz so I I expect to see plenty of that on Sunday Lions Seahawks Lions four-point favorites in this one the Lions unfortunately kind of escaped last week not only with it with a loss but also um a decent amount of injuries, you know, whether it's to DeAndre Swift or or Amon St. Brown, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, like one of the uh, heroes of the early part of the season. Now he's dinged up. So, you know, what do you do with with the Lions covering four points at at home uh, against the Seattle team?
2: Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, granted, I'm biased because I'm obviously a Rashad Penny investor and generally a fan of his but I think the Seahawks pretty clearly lost against the Falcons because they didn't run enough. And I thought they should have lost in week one because they didn't run enough. And I'm surprised that two out of the first three weeks, the Seahawks lost or should have lost because they didn't run enough. I didn't, I thought that was the last possibility with Pete Carroll running the show, especially with Russell Wilson gone, but everything they were saying about Russell Wilson limiting the offense was true. It's like, they didn't want to only throw the ball 27 times a game. It's just that they thought that Russell Wilson was a liability for uh, basically, you know, attempts 27 through 38 or whatever Gino has been throwing. Those are all slants and like crossers and things over the intermediate part of the, the middle of the field that Russell Wilson just couldn't or would not throw to. So that low pass attempt volume they had with Wilson was just because they, they completely, they, they forfeited that one category of play structure and now they're running it with Gino. But like man, you guys were running the ball well against the Broncos, and you should have lost, but you got bailed out by Nate Hackett. And then in Week Three, you didn't get bailed out by Nate Hackett, so you lost. And you pu- when mm-hmm. you pulled the exact same stunts. and it's like I, I, I am surprised that we're in this place in the first place, but. I also would be shocked if Pete Carroll looked at those results and couldn't figure it out, especially given his kind of you know ideological inclinations. I think it's like usually he wants to find a reason to run the ball more, and it's here there is a big fat one right in front of him. So if they get going on the ground with Penny, I, I just I think Penny's the category of player like you get him over 18 carries, you're at for the defense, you're at serious risk of giving up a 50 yarder any second. And uh, if they get them there, I think that happens. If they don't, I think they lose uh, for sure. Whereas, you know, if, I'm not saying they win if they get Penny 20 carries, but I think they definitely lose if
1: they don't. Um, okay.
2: Yeah. So I don't know. The, the Lions offense should be fine without Swift, though.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you starting if, in leagues where you have them or stashed them, picked them up, what, what have you. Uh, assuming, again, that, that Swift is inactive this week. Jamal Williams starting him in the flex pretty easily.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was a flex player even when Swift is healthy. So it's one of those things like he doesn't gain that much with Swift out. It's, it's not like Williams was like a 20 carry, six catch, you know, mega running back waiting to break out. It's like he's he's kind of maxed out as it is, but he has no real competition for like high value touches now. Oh, ex-
1: exactly. Yeah, he was already getting the goal line work uh, even pre-Swift uh, injury. Um, and then as far as the receivers go, if – Amon Ross St. Brown is out. I know Josh Reynolds left last game a little bit gimpy as well. Uh, Um, Is this like a Hawkinson week or, you know, where, where else do do the targets go? Oh my God. Their pets heads are falling off.
2: Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have been so quick to assume the Lions offense will be okay. Maybe, maybe they're just too battered to be themselves right now. Um, Yeah. I don't know how it would look. I mean, what the hell they got. uh, This is, this is like a, This is a scenario where I have to give the disclaimer because I I think Quintez Cephas is actually quite good, but it's limited, of course, but still quite good. So I think he can step up here if they need him to. And hell, even Khalif Raymond was passable as kind of like a starter level player for them last year. And going into this year with him as the wide receiver five, it's like it's it's a. it's, it's the progression of a good team. You know, he went from a player that they need all the time to a player they only need in a situation like this one. And maybe they have just enough depth to do it. I don't know. I, I, I as long as that offensive line keeps playing the way it generally does. I think that's more important than any of the other parts.
1: I, I believe so as well. Good point. Um, let's keep it rolling. Let's get on over to our next game. Uh, we got Chargers Texans uh, Texans five and a half point dogs at home. The Texans. Lost to the Chicago Bears, uh, that 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 reaches inexcusable territory. The team in my that's opinion. trying
2: to lose beat
1: you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that is no bueno uh, for from them. Even though it was on the road, and you know it, they they hung around till the very end, still, uh, but not particularly encouraging. And then on on the Chargers side. I mean, they got housed. They got completely housed, and I think that that at once is a statement that Jacksonville is no longer the bomb, bottom feeder than it that it was a year ago. Uh, but at the same time, I think it also just kind of pointed to some problems with with the Chargers. Whether it is Justin Herbert they playing through something that's tough, uh, they they are injured, you know, in a lot of spots. But like Austin, you would think with with Herbert being dinged up the way he is, it would be a, a great spot for Eckler. And no. I mean, they were, they were playing catch-up the whole time, but, st- I mean, even still, it just, oh, boy. I've, They're too predictable. They don't
2: have threats. They don't have any teeth. Like Especially when a guy like Allen is out, they just don't have any teeth. And you, you watch, especially after all the tape they put up of last year with Austin Eckler, 99th percentile outcome, just just carrying them through so many stretches, 20 touchdowns from scrimmage. They were overly dependent on him last year, and the looks that he was winning on last year, the defense had a whole year to study, and I'm not saying like Eckler's just toast now because they they figured him out. But when Herbert's hurt and Allen is missing, and now Rashawn Slater's out for the year, whatever, like there's a lot working against him, and and defenses are more prepared than ever to deal with him. So I, I, Eckler's going to be some version of fine. I mean, he's still an awesome player, and in PPR, you know, they all it takes is one garbage time drive against prevent defense for him to all of a sudden get 10 points. Yep. So that's, that's going to be fine. But as far as paying off as like a top five, six kind of pick that you just see occasionally see him go at. I don't know how that's happening. Cause a lot of, a lot of, um, not that this is anything to do with his ADP in the off season, but a lot of people who think whatever they do about the charters developed, whatever ideal about the Chargers that they have over the last two years, it contains the premise that, well, Brandon Staley's a smart coach and they're going to figure out all this stuff that other teams can't. And so far it's been the exact opposite. He has not been good and he has innovated in ways to blow it that other bad coaches could never conceive. So (laughs) I don't know why it should, I don't know why there should be a bottom anytime soon. Really. I don't know why, like there's this enduring faith in them as an institution, just because of Staley being there that like, Oh, well, they'll get it together though. It's like, why, what do they do? Well, nothing.
1: No, they they really don't. Um, Bosa you know. and
2: Matt. That's the only thing good with them and Derwin.
1: Bosa's not playing this week, is that right?
2: Uh I guess uh, I'll have to pull up the injury report because I missed that one. Um but yeah, if Bosa's out, that's a huge deal. Uh he's it's him
1: and Yeah, Matt. he's on he's on IR now.
2: Oh god. Uh yeah, they suck. They're like <laughs> they're worse than the Texans now.
1: Oh, so do, do we hold our nose and, and pick the Texans to cover?
2: I'll do it. I mean that right. that tells you that the Chargers are
1: golden but I'll do it. <laughs> the, the onions onions call on this podcast. We love it. All right, let's let's stick in the AFC South. Uh we got Colts hosting the Titans. The Titans got off the ropes last week and, you know, avoided the the dreaded 0 and 3 start. <clears throat> Gave that over to to the Raiders, of course. And I that was one of those games that like right when it kicked off, I was like I am so on the wrong side of this one like a but My argument, you know, I I try to like craft an argument on on both sides to see how a team is going to cover or not. And, you know, with with the Titans, it's like we have two weeks going into last weekend of just dreadful, dreadful play. I mean, the the Bills won slightly forgivable, uh, losing to the Giants the way they did slightly less so. So they they go into that game 0-2, they're at home, and it's like, well, they should lose this game. Like all evidence points to them being a terrible team, but Mike Vrabel is pretty good. Uh, he gets that team to play hard, and McDaniel's—he
2: might, might not be good, Jim. So, yeah.
1: so that that ended up being the case. That ended up being the, the right answer. The Raiders, once again, you know, like no showed for part of the game. Mac Hollins became a thing uh, briefly. Uh, I'll have to ask you if if we see that continuing in any any form or fashion. But you know, when it when it comes down to this matchup for for Tennessee going into Indy, who obviously in their own right got one of the shocking results of last week beating the Chiefs who just kind of slept walked I, I felt like for a lot of that game. Yeah. Uh so that was that was tough uh maybe for me personally and survivor. Uh still kicking myself there. Um but in the end, where are you on this particular matchup?
2: Yeah, there's like three good teams in the NFL and all of the ones we were just uh, go, going through Chiefs aside are terrible. I I really fell for the McDaniel's thing. He's he still cannot be trusted with anything apparently and uh given how things went out in uh, denver it seems like that we're going to enter an alienation phase now where things get even worse with him uh because he he probably can't keep a a a contentious locker room in order he's never been the kind of person who has who inspires you know uh, followers or anything so anyway i only mentioned that backtrack to to say i still think tennessee is bad and i certainly still think the colts are bad and uh, I think the Titans win this just because I don't think the Colts are hardly like a real team right now. They they have they have a lot of politics going on in the background, I would imagine too. Like Chris Ballard is no doubt laying uh, laying the foundation to to eventually bury Reich when there's uh, a media scapegoat to be issued at the end of the year in a couple of weeks. You know, maybe this week. Uh, there's, Ballard is is working to undermine Reich and uh, normally those two work really closely together like Reich gets leaned on by Ballard and the game planning and stuff like that so it's like a weird situation at the very least that they're in and that's not even getting to the part of how their team sucks because their quarterback uh, whatever. I think their offensive theory makes no sense there was a certain way it could have gone that made sense to me and they've done actually the quite a direct opposite of it. Uh, so I don't think they have the, the ammo to get it done on offense and their defense. I mean, I guess they've been good against the run all year and that's something that could continue, but the defense last week tricked the the chiefs basically because they showed three weeks of the same cover three scheme that Gus Bradley has for his entire career, the defensive coordinator of the Colts. He's run this cover three thing that he, he copied Pete Carroll back when they were running cover three with the legion of boom and it worked at the time and Gus, Gus Bradley just kind of been jamming those same buttons ever since, just trying to make, just trying to make the same playbook work the way it did 15 years ago or whatever. And it doesn't work. The chiefs, I think went into that game thinking like, Oh hell yeah, we got Bradley's cover three. We're going to, we're going to kick his ass up and down the field. And they got out there and they ran something totally different. Like, I guess they're running more like a cover four kind of thing. And it, basically threw off the Chiefs offense for, you know, a half or more of the game and they they didn't figure things out until like too little too late. And then Kelsey missing that one throw. And that's how you do it. That's how you blow that game when you're the Chiefs not being able to run the ball at all uh, helps too. But uh, I just, I mentioned all that to say the the Colts kind of pulled out every stop basically last week and they had luck in their favor too. I don't think like they could be lucky here, but I I feel like it's more this time around, like they need that luck. Uh, to just not get choked out in the fourth quarter, like I think, I think the Titans have the personnel to deal with everything that the Colts throw. at As long as they, you know, easier said than done. As long as they don't let Taylor kill them, mm-hmm. I don't know what the Colts have a single bit otherwise.
1: Yeah, I don't either. So you know, this is this is one of a couple games, and we're about to get to another one where you feel queasy uh, backing either side. But I, I, I think I'll, I'll take the side that's that's getting the points here, and that that's uh, as Tennessee. Um, Onward to Bears Giants. Uh, I was, I wrote in my article this week that this might be the grossest matchup of two and one teams that I can remember.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, quite fraudulent. Their, their cumulative record, especially the Bears, but not, not to skip how bad the Giants are too. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're just weird and they're, they're kind of, um, they're in this weird position where they're they're trying to win. Uh, the players and the coaches are trying to win, but they're also like, they, they're they're behaving personnel wise. They're utilizing their personnel almost as a tanking team would, like giving starting snaps to David Sills. Uh, so that's that's something you do when you are not trying to win. It's it's like what the Bears do with you know Dante Pettis and all that. So Equinemia, mm-hmm. Saint Brown, it's like this is what you Spider-Man do when you yeah, it's like the 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 Bears are actually trying not to win whereas the the Giants are trying to win but using personnel as if they aren't. I don't know, it's weird. Uh makes for a volatile projection I think aside from, you know, the downward offensive trend, like there's that's a given with these two stupid teams, but specifics aside from that, I don't know, it might be kind of a weird whatever way it goes, it might be a weird game rather than just uh, an ugly run out the clock you know, cloud of dust kind of thing. There might might be some turnovers, I guess. That, that's probably not a bold prediction. Um, I think the Giants win somehow, probably by some amount of scoreboard comfort, but it might be because of like two, you know, like Xavier McKinney scoring a touchdown
1: or something like that, that that gets them there. So with Shepard being out and Kenny Galladay just seeming, I, the, I still think Kenny Galladay, can be a good player or at least like yeah, I they think he a was a totally but... wrong like he's yeah. yeah let's
2: just say he's a bit of a head case fine some people are head cases some people need to be coddled a little bit but one thing you don't do one thing that doesn't help a guy like him play right is screw with his practice reps and, and do this like cold war through the media like mm-hmm. they every time they talk is face to face they're like yeah we think kenny's doing great and they said kenny's like yeah they tell me i'm doing fine or whatever and then then you get these anonymous reports in the media you get uh dable going up to the to the press and be like yeah he's got to show us more it's like why didn't you just tell him that why didn't mm-hmm. why didn't why does why does he not why is he learning this now and also like he's gonna get the yips over this he's gonna develop a, a complex because yeah he's probably a bit of a head case and when you know head cases are a little more fragile psychologically sometimes and you don't you don't just like boot camp them into something different like you got to kind of deal with their eccentricities and I think Galladay is a guy who it's like if you don't give him those first team practice reps and you make him spend all that time sitting on the sideline about how he doesn't want to be here and how he he doesn't feel like he can trust anyone here like these people aren't on his side he is going to get into the game the few times you put him out there and he's gonna have the yips and he's gonna he's not gonna be focused and he's he's gonna be trying to I, th- I see people saying like he's just not even trying he's trying to shave points and it's like no he's probably just a little bit. Weird and needs to be coddled a little bit. And if they had coddled him, they'd have more production to show for it. But they took the principled stand of, like, no, you gotta be more like David Sills because he's so helpful,
1: <laughs> right? Sure is. Um, so I mean, do, do does Kenny G wake up, you know, in, in light of this, Tony,
2: too? that's a, mm-hmm. a similar thing with Tony. So I don't think it's, I think they're neither of them is likely to contribute. Uh, David Sills, of course, won't do anything useful. Uh, it's it's just Barkley, like what Barkley does. Yeah, that's what happened that week.
1: Yeah, and Richie James much. apparently. Yes, uh, we we're Richie James guys back from yeah, good uh, for him though. D- I mean, college football cool. DFS, uh, yeah, that rocks. Um, and then will the Bears throw more than twenty passes this week <laughs> or any at any time this season?
2: Uh, this is kind of like asking if someone will successfully take the offense uh, take Luke Getze hostage at gunpoint without Getze being able to tell anyone during the game. Uh <laughs> it's like if they throw 25 passes like is, does someone go see if Luke's okay. Yeah, um, yeah Is Luke up there? Are we sure he's at his headset and there's not like a, a t- imposter like
1: a body double yeah.
2: Yeah a guy wearing a Luke Getze suit. Um but yeah I think uh the Bears are really they're like, again, they're doing kind of what the Giants are with tank personnel and they're really sticking with it. They're really they're really trying to make it as ugly and dreary as possible. And they're still accidentally winning, which is, of course, funny and what they deserve. Um, yes. But when you don't want to win, that's when you deserve to win. Uh, right? if you're the Bears anyway. Um So, yeah, they they I don't see how they, you know, accidentally win three games in the first four weeks. So that that's a. Uh, That's the Giants, just, they're going to take it somehow, I think, and, I don't know, what what does this Bears offense even have going for it when Khalil Herbert doesn't have a 40-yard carry? It's like, it's, there's just nothing else. If Khalil Herbert's averaging four and a half yards a carry instead of 10, I don't even know how they reliably get past midfield.
1: Yeah, no, that, so, that, being big, big play dependent and run dependent, like, that, mm. The bad, bad equation there. Like, go back to the drawing board. Um, let's see here. Let's keep it going. Uh, we got Jags, Eagles. Really interesting game. Um, uh, Eagles six and a half point favorites in this one, playing host to the Jaguars. Um, I like the Eagles in this spot. I think I'm just going to continue to to back them. Uh, they they just they continue to feel like the best team in the in the NFC, in my estimation. Uh, this line was at seven. Now it's at six and a half. Um, your thoughts here. I know the, Jagu- I mean, the Jaguars deserve plenty of credit for for their start. We'll obviously get there, but I just I think at the end of the day, the Eagles are just better.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the Jaguars are interesting and whatever else, but the Eagles just are one of the best teams in the league. And I think some of the problems – that the Washington offense posed to the Jaguars defense, like namely making them play spread defense, basically. That's something the Eagles can pose too for a slightly different, not because they have like the three wide of, you know, Dotson, McLaurin, Curtis Samuel. They only really have like a two-wide kind of thing. But the Hertz rushing element puts that additional uh like axis of tension on the defense, and I think creates the same fundamental, fundamental like uh a struggle for for the the jaguars defense which is the more that they have to spread out and more field they have to defend the less good they are it, whereas when they can kind of tee off on you then you're in trouble because they got they got some guys who can run a little bit uh, in the front seven but when they got the three wide four wide from washington they just got annihilated in week one so maybe they're a little better at that by now but not much reason to assume and uh until you get a defense, what what is this going to take? I guess I guess a Bills kind of defense is what you'd need to to counter this uh, Eagles offense right now. And uh, the Jags don't have that. So meanwhile, on, on their offensive side, I don't know. There's I'm a little bit worried about. Uh, I mean, Slay and, and Bradbury, of course, are very good. Slay. It'll be interesting to see if they they have him shadow Christian Kirk into the slot. I, I know last year they generally kept Slay outside. They're going to have to have him follow Kirk into the slot to have him follow Kirk. So that would be interesting, both because it'll be interesting to see if Kirk can just win against a guy like that. And it'll be interesting to see if Slay loses something going into the slot as opposed to playing the perimeter. Uh, But the this this has to be a game where like ETN and Robinson get going if the the Jaguars, it has to be a game where ETN gets going if the Jaguars are going to compete Uh, Mm -hmm. because Robinson's kind of like a constant. And they're going to need something extra that they haven't shown. You know, those those two touchdown catches that ETN almost had in week one—that's what they need here.
1: Yes, and you know, no guarantee there. But uh, I mean, ETN
2: linebackers can't defend those guys. That's the one thing about the Eagles' defense. Like, and they don't have corner depth. That their starting base loadout is really, really tough. The front four is really tough. The secondary is really tough. But their third corner, fourth corner—that's where they're vulnerable. And those linebackers, if you get them spaced out in coverage, they're they're sitting ducks, basically.
1: Okay, so any like uh, obviously, I think if if you drafted ETN, you're, you're you're still starting him at this point. But like, do you do you think that this is a, a spot to go contrarian with him in like DFS or or?
2: Yeah, because I, I know people uh, people want to make like you know stone tablet verdicts of guys' entire careers based on three or four games, uh, you know the tilting. Well, yeah, and we go it's like ETN. I picked in the first I picked ETN and he doesn't he hasn't gone off in the first three weeks. Oh, God, he must suck. He's why my life sucks. But no, it's like we just we went through this with Swift last year. And and especially after those two missed touchdowns in week one and with Robinson being the kind of guy that he is, you can understand why Doug Peterson is sort of just like going with what he perceives as safe uh, when uh when in their base functions. Right. And while that's occurring, I still think it can it can work for ETN because he can make the big play. And the big play hasn't been there the last two weeks in the yardage from scrimmage. And in week one, he missed what would have been a successful setup for those two touchdowns. If he had those two touchdowns, uh, A, the public perception of ETN is just kind of even with these these two slow weeks since people would still be like, oh, but he's so close. He's you know, It's almost it's going to happen. It's almost here. You know, people would have a totally different view of ETN and Doug Peterson probably would trust him a little bit too uh, more the, too, two because he, he'd probably been like more likely to give etn that 50 yard touchdown carry that robinson had you know it's like that's that's a play that etn will clearly make and much faster than robinson and if he had two touchdown catches in week one maybe etn would have been out there instead these, these are these are narrow paths that he's working with which is at once you know frustrating in the meantime but it's also reason to believe it doesn't take much for it to go the other way he he only really needs those one or two plays and he make he's he's a better candidate to make those one or two plays than almost any running back in the league or in recent memory. So, I think he's clearly stick with ETN still. By the way, he's been very productive as a route runner. They just kind of haven't gotten the volume going yet. But you just see it, it, it both with the, the way he is and the pass catching usage. It's it's almost there. And you had a similar. Uh, souring on DeAndre Swift to start last year. You know, he dropped that touchdown pass against the Bears or whatever in week one, and then he kind of got nicked up and he missed a few games. Jamal Williams took a couple touchdowns and people were like, oh God, DeAndre Swift's a fraud. We, You know, he's he's never going to be any good. And then four big games in the second half of the year had people change their mind from that to, we got to take him in the top 12 in 2022. So just understand it can change in a hurry with ETN.
1: No, I, absolutely. I, I think that that his best days are obviously... Um, ahead of him and then uh last one for you are you starting trevor lawrence this week and if not is this the last week that you would say that you're not starting trevor lawrence
2: i think it's a tough matchup for him but they've been throwing a lot they've they've had a doug peterson has had a pretty specific game plan about throwing a lot and throwing underneath and eventually teams are going to have to readjust to that and and if if gannon's on it and if if slay and bradbury are on it it could be a harsh reckoning to face in this game if they try to do those same routes and they're getting jumped. So I'm a little concerned for Lawrence, but he could throw like 40 passes in this game.
1: Well, but yeah, I mean, that would, that would obviously, you know, help, help goose the, the overall fantasy production from, from him 40 dropbacks. But yeah, I think if you see that Trevor Lawrence has had to throw it 40 times, you, you can't imagine that the game went particularly I think this well. Is a tough game for him over and that, that front floor is, it's not easy to deal with. Yeah, those guys are, are monsters up there. Um, let's go Steelers, Jets. Uh, expect Expectation here that, that Zach Wilson should be back. So the, our Flacco days, uh, those short-lived were, you know, the, the candle that burns twice as bright uh, burns twice as quickly, unfortunately, as, as such is 2022 Joe Flacco on the Jets. Going into Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, I, I'm just kind of having to start to recognize how shaky they are uh in general, uh you know the, even with TJ TJ Watt being out the defense, you know you, you called it perfectly last week when it came to that Thursday night game against the Browns like eventually uh that this run defense isn't going to be able to to hold up that type of thing, but I mean, I don't know if the Jets are built to kind of uh really take complete advantage of the weaknesses that the Steelers have right now. So I, I do like the Steelers in this spot, but I, I don't feel great about backing them uh, in any week right now.
2: Yeah, I don't know how to call this one. Uh, I, guess, I guess I'll guess i take the
1: Steelers just because,
2: uh, I don't know, Tomlin is their coach.
1: Yep, and, and Robert Salah, uh, the, the coach of the Jets. So, yeah, not, not a whole lot else to, to unpack from that one. Before we get on over to our next game, uh, football is officially back on Monkey Knife Fight with all the NFL action you're looking for. And if college football is more your speed, they've got plenty of that. On Monkey Knife Fight, there's no sharks, no salary caps, and no math. It's just easy to play, easy to win, daily fantasy player props. Join now at monkeyknifefight.com, and you'll get your first game free. Then use promo code RWNFL to get your first deposit match instantly up to $100. So what are you waiting for? Join Monkey Knife Fight today. Again, that's promo code RWNFL. All right, on to the afternoon uh, slate of games here, uh, Cards Panthers Panthers uh, at home <sighs> in this one. Um, yeah, this uh, you know, very they, this last block of sports. games has just been a, a brutal collection of matchups. I think I like the Panthers in this spot, though.
2: Yeah, why not? Some idiot team has to win this one. Why not them? <laughs>
1: I mean, the the Cardinals are just.
2: I hate that. Or, Keim and Cliff, you guys gotta go hang out somewhere else I don't know
1: get a, get an island for each other somewhere yeah, it's anything but 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 what we're seeing right now um, let's go uh, Packer's Patriots uh, Packers at home this line obviously has changed a, a good bit in light of the Mac Jones
2: specifically and, that one picture there's there's yeah. like the the wire report about like Mac Jones parentheses ankle I'm like oh my god we gotta change the line and then they, they saw that they saw the the psychic just that the
1: the, 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 around around the world in
2: his face yeah and it's like <laughs> wait this is this is something more uh this this will this will have repercussions that spread outward um i don't know what to make of that i mean I, I i think in a way they don't lose that much just because not that i'm saying jones is not better than hoyer or bailey zap or whatever but they weren't getting that much from the quarterback position so uh it's, a, it's not a high bar situation, but uh, yeah, the Patriots, I don't know what, they, like their offense sucked in the first place. I don't know why they would keep it together here outside of the ground game. Like the ground game will give them a certain sort of constant, but I, I think Rodgers gets enough going that the Packers pull away, uh, even if it's in the late part of the game.
1: My, my thinking was, was just kind of like, especially when the line was closer to ten and a half, that I'm not going to trust the the Packers with that much against Bill Belichick. But now it's nine and a half and I, I can a, a ten point win is a lot easier to conceptualize than 13 against Belichick. So um, I, I if the line sticks at nine and a half, I'm, I'm on the Packers somewhat begrudgingly, but but ten and above. Um, I think is where the you know, and obviously that's why they make the line the, the way that they do. But I'm um, no, you know, actually, i, uh,
2: I I'm thinking a little bit too much in like wide receiver corner matchups, but I think Rodgers could have a really good game here. By the way, I, I think Romeo dubs is for real. Uh, yes. I think his arrival was needlessly delayed by the GM, Guta kunst or whatever, sticking his hands in the offense and saying, you got to start Christian Watson, even though he sucks and hasn't practiced in like four months. Uh, Dobbs should have been their lead snap guy along with Watkins right away. And he proved it last week. I don't think they can go back. And, uh, in this particular game, you might see a lot of Alan Lazard against Miles Bryant, who is uh, the new Dante Dion. Like I've mentioned previously, like he, he, he won't be in the league soon. So target the receivers who run against him now.
1: Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, that those are, those are good points there when it, when it comes to, uh, this, uh, this secondary there for, for New England. Course.
2: Sorry, before I forget, I want to say uh, the one thing about the Packers that is not going to improve and they need to stop doing it is the two back offense. Like, I know it's it's good in theory or whatever, but it, the results haven't been there. And it makes sense that the results wouldn't be there because the defense counters with nickel. And then Aaron Jones is not a, a plus blocker on this rep. So you get the same result as if you're just running with like a receiver who is not actually a threat. to Jones can run a route, but not like any qualified receiver should be able to. So they just make themselves worse and the results uh, say that too.
1: Good. Yeah. Okay. So that it, it, it looks cool uh, on the field when, when they have AJ Dillon and Jones back there, but I think that's a good point about the, the actual effectiveness of that, of that type of personnel. Um, let's go Broncos, Raiders, Raiders, uh, two and a half point favorites in this one at home in Vegas. <sighs> I mean, it's another game. It's you hate backing either of them.
2: Um, well, Crackshot said that the Broncos would beat the 49ers, so uh, I believe whatever he says about this game. Uh, Good point. He's picking, yeah. I, I to be serious, don't know. Both of these teams are, are really in rough shape. Uh, I don't. Know. I guess. I guess the Broncos at least have uh, Javante Williams they can lean on and Sutton you know, making a couple moss grabs a game, but it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of like eight on 11, eight on 10, seven on nine kind of football, just trash. And then stupid coaches making it all worse.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, on, on the Raiders side, um, anything set up nicely for them offensively. I mean,
2: Jacobs is playing pretty well. So if they can, have the focus and you know game script necessary to to feed them a little bit. I don't want to I don't want to like say Jacobs can't step up a little. The Mac Hollins thing is not gonna go. Uh they that's one of those things, the one of those box scores that people look at and they're like, oh wow that's that guy's emerging. This is this is something new from this Mac Hollins guy. He might be the real deal. It's like no that box score tells you that the Raiders lost. That's the Mm -hmm. Raiders offense getting put in a place it doesn't want to go. If if they're if they're featuring Mac Hollins as their lead receiver, they got whooped. It's simple as that. So, uh, granted, they can lose against anybody apparently, but the Hollins thing is not like an enduring design. Even if Renfro misses time, like they they want those plays to go to Waller, couldn't find a way to do it, got whooped for it.
1: Yeah, and and then you know Adams coming off of a couple of kind of disappointing weeks for fantasy, you know the target volume's been there. Do you think the efficiency climbs back up to norms this week?
2: Yeah, I think he'll be fine. I just think it's, it is going to be by the end of the year a bit of a slog with him where it's like he has God, I don't, even, I don't know what the math that needs to work out like, but you know, like getting, getting like 11, 12 targets a game, 7.2 yards a target, only six or seven touchdowns. Like he's going to, he's going to have games where he's getting like 11 catches for 85 yards
1: and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think so too. So, um, you know, he, he was kind of my, my late first round target th- this year in drafts where I was picking there. Uh, not feeling great. I
2: think he'll be fine, games. but I think we knew we were getting into that with PPR. It's like we, as long as it's PPR, it's like, hey, it's it's probably not going to be great in real life, but a hundred catches is a hundred catches, and some some of these first round picks are going to just be total duds. Yeah, no, exactly.
1: It's just kind of how the game works. We would like
2: a prime Cooper Cup, yes. But
1: <laughs> apparently, they're just not giving those away. It's unbelievable. Um, let's go uh, Sunday night matchup. Uh, Chiefs, Bucks. Uh, I hadn't seen the, the latest uh, as for um, whether this game is staying in Tampa Bay or or not. Um, but the Chiefs, uh, slight road underdogs in in this one against the Bucks. It, to me, that feels a little bit overreaction to to last week. I, I think that the Buccaneers have a severely flawed offense, and I I feel like that the Chiefs simply do not. So I mean, weather permitting, I, I've and you know this game. I just like the Chiefs in, in this in this particular spot. Where are you with this one?
2: Uh it's it's tough to think through because there was that one time when they had Tyreek and and the the Chiefs showed up and just put like two hundred and seventy yards on uh, in one half with Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill, and then in the second half and in the subsequent matchup, Todd Bowles called a much better game. So Todd Bowles, he. Uh, He's kind of familiar. He's paid a lot of attention to this team, despite not playing against them that much, despite being, you know, far apart. So I think he's he's ready to show up with a good game plan. And I think the Chiefs are uh, playing a lot of 10 on 11. So I don't, I don't know if this is the team where they get away with that. Uh, granted, I guess they wouldn't be running very well, even if they gave the ball to Pacheco or Ronald Jones, whoever it is that can run the ball uh, in light of McKinnon not being able to do anything of any kind. But as long as they're paying that 10 and 11, they're just kind of asking for, for bad luck. It's like bad luck shows up more often when you're letting yourself be nearer to it in, in the first place. So they, they make things needlessly close on themselves. They, they give themselves a needlessly tight margin of error as long as they do that. And uh, you were, you're correct to point out that the Buccaneers' offense is all busted, but it's pretty much all because of injury, I think. And Tom Brady, when he has the time and the means figures things out and getting Julio back in practice getting Godwin back in practice Russell Gage is practicing the first day of the week this week that might mark the receivers being substantially better than they've been in 2 weeks at least mm-hmm. and the offensive line is still a problem but and not not to dismiss that cuz the Chiefs defense is better i think than people realize like they got they got some people they got like Carlos done that playing off the bench now so You've got you've got ammo when when you got a player like Dunlap off the bench going against a backup busted offensive line. They could do some real damage. Um, So, yeah, I guess uh, I don't I don't think the Buccaneers want to just like air it out exactly. I think they want to be more selective with the shots that they take. But I think they might start making more of their shots than they have in a couple of weeks.
1: Okay, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't expect their offense to to continue to you know just kind of mire uh but but at the same time uh you know it's been a been a slow start but i think i think you know point Brady point always taken.
2: gets to working on things you know it's like there'll be a game where you're like oh man Brady's just whooped, but like it just doesn't happen the same way the second
1: time yeah he ne- never stays down um can't can't get rid of him um and then let's see here and then is there a chiefs you're receiver <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're a chiefs receiver investor for say the, the Sunday night, uh, showdown slate, who's the one that to go with Juju. But I mean, like
2: if I could, if I could know what kind of coverage, if, if I knew where the, the Buccaneers might have busted coverage and where Marquez Valdez Scantling is lining up on that play, uh, you know, he can, he can exploit busted coverage. I just don't know if he can beat anything else. Um,
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's Juju, it's Kelsey. And then there's a bunch of like trick shot guys. Is, is Sky Moore going to do anything this year?
2: If they, had to, if they had to give him like 35, 40 snaps in a game, I bet he would do something, but I don't think that's on the table, well, at least not when Valdes, Scantling and Hardman are healthy. Uh, Hardman, I guess, is not healthy. I, I don't know what the heel. He wasn't practicing Wednesday. I don't know how bad that is or if it's like they're managing it. But I mean, I like Mikkel Hardman, obviously, but I, I don't like the idea of injured hardman. So, oh, Justin Watson's in the way probably too.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess more is just he's red-shirting pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of think so as well. Um and then uh last game quickly, we'll go uh Rams, Niners. Niners slight home favorites in this one in, in the Monday night game. I know. I I was surprised to see that as well, but you know, the Rams have they, they've won two games in a row, but they've let worst teams, you know, hang around, uh, for for each of those matchups.
2: Yeah. I don't think the Rams have figured out anything really. I mean, they, they were unable to get Allen Robinson going in a game when Cooper cup, the only, the only difficult matchup for cup in the league is Arizona for some reason Byron Murphy, apparently. And even with that pressure against cup, they still couldn't get Robinson going at all. So there's a lot of dust on this offense the way I see it. And, uh, I, I don't th- – McVay might be one smart coach or whatever, but I, I don't think you can – you can only polish a turd so much, and mm-hmm. I think we are at uh, maximum polish with this one. On the San Francisco side, it's more like they got more to work with. I just apparently can't trust them to do anything uh, other than play pretty good defense anyway. So that, that yeah. though, is the point. I, I think that if necessary, D'Amico Ryan's just grabs the steering wheel from Shanahan and just – Sounds like I'm winning this one,
1: yeah. So I, I think that yeah, defense is going to kind of end up being the the name of the game in in this one, and and one that yeah, begrudgingly I, I do like the the Niners to to find a way. I think they've had some success against McVeigh and the Rams uh, in the past, better McVeigh Rams teams than, than this one even. Um, so that's going to round it out for us here on the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. The Thursday edition, the uh, breakdown of the entire slate. Make sure you check in on Friday's episode. Ryan Belongi and Scott Genstad breaking down the DFS. Must listen every week if you're playing DFS. Really good stuff from those guys. And, of course, we've got pods going all week long, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're checking those out. Uh, That's going to do it for us. Here for Mario Puig, I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit
0: card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers,